This episode of Breaking Walls is sponsored by... Are you a maker, doer, dreamer who enjoys their time alone? Who thrives on working solo? Then you might enjoy the Creative Introvert Podcast. Every week, I bring you musings, tips, and guest interviews in order to inspire and motivate my fellow creative innies. Find the show at thecreativeintrovert.com. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 62. My name is James Scully. Can you believe it? It's already August. This month's topic on Breaking Walls is harvest. That theme, harvest, comes from the autumn crop harvest in North America, which will begin this month. There's apple picking, there's pumpkin picking, there's those crisp morning air runs. All of the celebrations of the fall, they're right around the corner. And as the harvest season takes us into the celebrations of the fall, it bridges the gap between summer and autumn. Have you ever noticed that August is the only month in America that doesn't have a major official patriotic or secularly celebrated religious holiday? Perhaps there should be one. If I'm nominating, then I'll nominate August 6th. Why? Because this August 6th will be Lucille Ball's 106th birthday. Since it's the harvest season, I thought I'd share Lucille Ball's amazing story and her advice on life. Rather than tell this as a straight biography, I'm using the many old-time radio, interviews, and other clips available on the web so that Lucy can tell her story to us in her own words. In her time, she did everything a person could possibly do in terms of the entertainment business, but also in life. She was a New Yorker, she was a chorus girl, a leading lady, a B-movie star, a radio star, a TV star, a studio head, a mother, and a member of the old guard spanning generations and mentoring young artists such as Carol Burnett, Joan Rivers, and her daughter, Lucy Arnaz. If you know me, you know I'm a zany individual, I really am. That's naturally so, but it will make sense to you upon hearing that my first hero was Lucille Ball. See, uh, Nick at Night in the early 1990s used to broadcast episodes of I Love Lucy Monday and through Friday at 9 p.m. And then in the summer, during their block party summer lineup, I don't know if anybody remembers that, that was the mid-1990s, six-hour marathons of I Love Lucy mostly, and I think the Lucy show later on, but mostly I Love Lucy, were broadcast on Tuesday nights. It says something that Lucy's humor was complex enough to hold the attention of an adult, but simple enough for a child to grasp. It's why, 28 years after her death, I Love Lucy, The Lucy Show, and Here's Lucy are still shown in reruns. Simply put, Lucille Ball is the most famous and perhaps most well-regarded and timeless female comedian in modern history. As our society finally moves towards a matriarchal one, and it's about damn time, no? Lucille Ball's role in this growth becomes more and more prevalent. So today, we'll get one part biography on Miss Ball and one part advice session from Lucy herself. It ties into harvest because we'll be harvesting all of the many things that Lucy learned in her life, and we're going to share it for all of us so that we can learn from her as well. Before I go on, I just want to say that if this is the first time you're listening to Breaking Walls and would like to subscribe, please do so at iTunes by searching for Breaking Walls or by following us on SoundCloud at The Wallbreakers. If you like these podcasts, please leave us an iTunes rating and a review. It'll help with the iTunes algorithm, and it'll help more people discover Breaking Walls. I mentioned in the last episode, I'll say it again, I'll be expanding the network of places Breaking Walls can be found in the coming months. I'll give you more information as that becomes available. What's holding me up is the many other projects I have going on, like to check out our line of New York City Unity t-shirts, please go to jamesthewallbreaker.com shop or thewallbreakers.com shop. These are typographic t-shirts that use the slang names of the five boroughs of New York City to help show unity amongst New Yorkers near and far. Myself and my partner, Reb Rant, who's, by the way, episode one guest, the original Breaking Walls episode guest. Recently, he and I released a 60-second commercial spot and photography for the shirts. We've gotten good feedback on the creative work, so thank you for the feedback and for your constructive criticism. By the way, thank you to my photographer, Justin Bernard, good friend of mine, fantastic photographer. 
It's very much appreciated the feedback that you guys have been giving me. And by the way, The Wall Breakers, we're on all social media outlets at The Wall Breakers, and we're on the web at thewallbreakers.com. The Lucy Show. Starring Lucille Ball. You were I mean, fired by Ziegfeld. Can you remember that? Indeed, can you I can. Remember the moment? Yes, I can. Yes. I never heard you tell that. No, I've never told it. <laughs> Next question is: Am I about to hear you tell it? Well, yes. It's hard to believe, but uh, when I came to this town, I, all I knew about was trying to get into vaudeville, mm -hmm. and um, I never got near even an agent. I never got inside a building, an office, anything that had anything to do with vaudeville. But finally, some girls that I met that were starving along with me uh, were going to a call at the Ziegfeld Theater. Casting call? Uh, yes, for um, a third road show of Rio Rita. It's many, many years ago. And uh, I made it. I made the call. I was chosen. One of I don't know how many. I've forgotten. And I kept that job for five days. That was the longest I'd ever kept any job. That was just in rehearsal, of course. Yeah. And at the end of five days, they just uh, very, you know, culled us out like that. That's it. Goodbye. Not even sweet about it. Well, they, they didn't even know our names. Mm -hmm. So I was so terrified because I'd already written home and told everyone that I was a Ziegfeld girl. I didn't say that uh, I was just going on the road and something, but yeah. <clears throat> it sounded great in Jamestown, New York. And... Uh, I was out, out on the street, literally. Even the theater's gone now. But I was right out there on that street, whatever it was, where the Ziegfeld Theater was, and I was crying. And it, I, would, I just wouldn't leave the area, wouldn't leave the premises. Everybody else had gone home, but I just stood there crying. And a man came out. His name, I think, was Henry Sharp. I'm not sure. He's dead now. Uh, but he was a right-hand man to Mr. Ziegfeld. And he said, what's the matter? And I told him. And I was sobbing, and he said, well, it's ridiculous to stand there and cry. There are other jobs. He didn't know that I had never been anywhere near a job before that. And he said, the thing for you to do is just go on about your life, find another job. Well, sounded so sad. And he walked away, and I followed him for about two blocks like an idiot, and sobbing and, and being, a, you've never heard this either, Lucy. And I, I just cried so, so, and he finally said, will you, will you go away? Stop following me. <laughs> You get me arrested. <laughs> so I stopped and I turned the other way and I went toward Fifth Avenue. And I remember saying, I've got to kill myself. I've got to die. I can't tell anybody at home what's happened to me. So I tried to figure how I'd do it. You I were did. Serious. Oh, yes. I was depressed. not quite serious well, enough to do it, but yeah. I thought I was. I was so depressed. Well, I was only 16. Yeah. And uh, I walked toward Fifth Avenue. And a big limousine passed, huge limousine. I hadn't seen anything that big in my life. And I thought, if you're going to get hit, hit by a big one. <laughs> in case you don't die, you know. Uh -huh. So I tried to throw myself in front of the limousine. Instead of that, it just stopped. <laughs> so I picked myself up and I went on back to my little room. That was the, that was the end of my suicide attempt. Oh. And if it hadn't, it's true. if that car had been going faster... I would be talking to an empty chair. <laughs> <laughs> Two empty chairs. Yeah. <laughs> Lucille Ball was born in Jamestown, New York, on August 6th, 1911. She had a hectic and poor childhood moving several times. At three, after her father Henry's death from typhoid fever, her family moved in with her grandparents in Chautauqua County. That's the westernmost county in New York State. In 1919, Lucille's mother Dee Dee Ball married Edward Peterson, when Dee Dee's husband convinced her to move to Detroit and leave the children behind in order to find work. 
Lucy moved in with her stepfather's strict parents. By the time she was reunited with her mother at age 11, she had developed an urge to do something big that took her away from Jamestown. At 15, Lucy's mother arranged for Lucille to go to the John Murray Anderson School for Dramatic Arts in New York City. Did you run away from home, or is, have I got it wrong? Uh, there are various versions of... Well, there are various versions, because until Lucy was a certain age, I didn't want her to know it. <gasps> what? I want to hear this. Well, is she I, didn't, I didn't really run away. Yeah, yeah she's okay. old enough now to hear anything, and she has. <laughs> this is an excerpt from the Dick Cavett ABC Late Night Show on March 9, 1971, featuring an interview with Lucille Ball, her daughter Lucy Arnaz, and comedian Carol Burnett. John Mary Anderson, Robert Milton Dramatic School. And the, the, uh, perhaps you might have read that John Murray Anderson, uh, who is now deceased, I think, wrote and doesn't know me, and neither does Robert Milton, they don't remember. Betty Davis was the star pupil there at the time, and uh, they, really? they, mm -hmm, they wrote a letter to my mother and said she was wasting her money. You or Betty Davis? M me. So you were wasting your money. Yeah, my mother was wasting her money. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that ended you, my... You read uh, what a good listener I am. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I... that, that ended my uh, dramatic school training. So I went back to school in Jamestown. And I stayed there for another uh, semester or two. Mm -hmm. And uh, then again, I went away to New York. Always with permission. Yeah. Once I ran away, without permission. And I got about as far as three blocks, and there was my mother with a lunch and an umbrella. <laughs> she knew I was going. She was watching the whole thing and just said, here you are, you might need these. That sounds just like Dee Dee. Exactly. Yeah. And then when I finally started going away, uh, this all happened within a period of two, three years, but I went away many times. It's only 500 miles to New York from Jamestown. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just cost my mother a fortune coming back because I died of homesickness. Were you ever really homesick? Mm-hmm. Oh, I was so ill. You can't, have you ever been homesick? Yeah, I have. But yeah. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I was violently ill, ran a fever, mm -hmm. and I would call my mother and um, she'd send the money and I'd go home on the Erie. Were you Lucille Ball then? You don't think I'd choose that name. Well, I... <laughs> After that, I changed my name. I changed my name to Diane Belmont. Oh! <laughs> I was driving in Long Island, uh, and I saw the Belmont racetrack, and I loved the name Diane. Yeah. Although all my life, when I was play-acting, I was uh, Madeline from The Light of the Western Stars. In the Zane Grey novel, you know, mm -hmm. I was always Madeline. Like and I rode a broomstick around the house. I was going to ask you if the name Diane Belmont rang a bell, because I had It rings a that. bell, all right. It's just a name I picked, but mm -hmm. people to this day think my name was Diane Belmont, and I took Lucille Ball. <laughs> and yet, yet there was this drive to get back to New York and get into I show business. I always wanted to get into show business. I never yeah. even got close to it. Not even close to it. I never appeared in anything, except back in Jamestown. How do you explain that? Because that, that implies I didn't have that any, a lot I didn't know where to go to get in. I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anyone in show business. I didn't even know how to look it up in the paper, I guess. I don't know. Finally, I got so hungry, I, I decided to become a, a model so I could eat. And I became a good model. But models aren't supposed to eat. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never did do that right. But uh, I was so thin and so tall, it didn't matter. I didn't eat oh. too much. World is I found out how to go to, uh, what was that place called? Where they had donuts and, and uh, no, not, not the, the automat, uh, uh, Redix or Medix? Needix. Needix. Needix, I found out how to go to Needix and slip into a stool, grab the nickel tip and the, grab the half a donut someone left and put the nickel down again and say, may I have a cup of coffee? I saw you do that about a month ago. <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes. I incorporated it in the show. I don't know if you saw it, but I did. Yeah. I incorporated it in the show. Yeah. That yeah. And, and how to, uh, to confiscate uh, leftover food when you were taken out to dinner at night. Mm -hmm. if, when you went through all that, then it must have really, as you were going along and finally beginning to get into the business and beginning to move, when you run into the people who make it hard for you, on the way up. You must really learn to hate them. Don't you? I never ran into anyone who, who really tried to make it hard for me. Because, yeah. and I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. If anyone was trying to make it hard for me, I wasn't aware of it. Mm 
But I was so grateful to be any part of the business that I was unaware of anything else. I was a part of it. I didn't care what I did. They never had to ask me twice to do anything. And has that lasted this long, or is it now just a business to you, in a sense? No, it still lasts. I love being a part of it. I'm getting an award Thursday night that is probably the biggest, biggest thrill that anyone could have. You can get a lot of awards in this Mm -hmm. business, in this business, but some of them are very, very special because they're not doled out, you know, Mm -hmm. too generously. But to be recognized as someone who has really contributed. That, that's important to me. Lucy's the only woman to ever yeah. get this award. That's why we're back here. Yeah, you're presenting it. or you're, No, I'm, you're, not present, I'm at, the, at the back with you're it on the, program, the show. On the program. The thing, yeah, but yeah. she's the only woman to ever receive this. Yeah. To be a... Thank you. After being fired by Ziegfeld, and after an uncredited stint as a golden girl in the 1933 film Roman Scandals, which starred Eddie Cantor and Gloria Stewart, all moved permanently to Hollywood to appear in films. I am just a sweet young thing of 22. (laughs) Or so. I never think to smoke or drink. My life is one long... What? No. (laughs) I finished at Miss Sniffing School, a model debutante. I know each fork and spoon and rule. I don't say can't, but can't. (laughs) My etiquette is ooh, may we. I pour a proper pot of tea. And even when I need a nip, I never... Never, never slip. Well, almost never. (laughs) Oh, cut it out, fellas. Lucy reveals her singing voice in this number called The Jitterbug Bite from the 1940 film Dance Girl Dance, directed by Dorothy Asner. Even then, her sense of poise and comedic timing was evident. Morning, noon, and night. But when I hear music, get a jitterbug bite over tea and crumpets. Gee, but I'm polite. But when I hear trumpets, get a jitterbug bite. I'm quite the quiet type, poison every move. But boy, do I get noisy when the boys get in the groove. What an awful plight Gotta say goodbye now You pardon me, I gotta blow I got a slight twitch in my toe My feet are just itching to go God, a jitterbug bite Ouch! You're the epitome of what a comedian should be in your picture. Why? Oh, because because you're brilliantly funny, and I might be. Oh, I oh, you com- meant the way I look. Oh, oh, I was getting to that. Oh. Great body, incredible legs, a lot of sex appeal. Still going there. No, 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 no. You know, but you're strong. To me, you're able to stand up to everything. Your whole life, you sir. What scares you? What? Frightens you. Anything? Yeah. I've just recently been very frightened. I just told you about it. But I didn't know that I could be that frightened and hurt. Uh, Before that, uh, anything that happened to my children frightened me. And uh, our divorce years ago frightened me. But for the last 25 years that I've been with Gary, I must say I have been not frightened at all until this happened with the, with the reviews i must say that i have been free of fright i have been free to enjoy i've had someone to lean on and love and laugh with 
And those things are the most important. You're married how long now with Gary? 25. God, it, we're all just getting up there. I, I, I think I've been married most of my life. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Lucy appeared in 12 dramatic films between 1940 and 1943, including the acclaimed Big Street in 1942. On January 13, 1944, an episode of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, aired on CBS. It was Lucille Ball's first guest-starring role on Suspense, and an opportunity for her to show her rarely-seen dramatic chops. In this episode, entitled Dime a Dance, Lucy plays a red-headed Broadway dance hall dancer named Ginger Allen. Ginger's best friend is murdered by a psychotic serial killer who only kills women with red hair. Obviously, with Lucy being a redhead in real life, playing a redhead on radio, Ginger is next on the list. It deals, as you will presently know, with Broadway life and sudden death, both set to music. And so with Dime a Dance and with the performance of Lucille Ball as a red-haired young lady named Ginger Allen, Roma Wines again hope to keep you in... Suspense. Have you ever danced with a murder? Doesn't cost any more for the extra thrill. It's only a dime. How could I do it, you say? I had to, to save my own life. I'm a taxi dancer from the Joyland Palace. One of the places just off Broadway in the 40s. You know the kind of place. Second-rate dance bands like Frankie Froman's 15 Frolickers. I was late to work that night. I ran down Broadway, scrambling through the crowd to the entrance of the Joyland. Fifty beautiful girls upstairs, boys. Come in and count them yourself. No admission, ten cents to dance. Come in, we're just getting started. The music is the very... Hello, Max. Hey, uh, Ginger, you better step on him. Marina's looking for you. You're late, he's burning. I know it. Has Julie come in yet? Not yet. Fifty beautiful girls waiting to dance. We just step right in. Good evening. So you finally decided to come, did you? Hiya, Marino. Sorry, I'm late. Yeah, you ought to be. So did Julie. All the cash customers are waiting. I sent out the girls before all the years are here, and you say I'm playing favorites. Well, blame it on Julie. She gave me a stand-up tonight. All right, so I'll blame it on Julie. Where is she? Isn't she here? No, and she ain't home neither, because I phoned her there 15 minutes ago. I thought she was with you. And I thought she was here. Hey, if this is no gag, what happened to her? Well, that's what I'm beginning to wonder. Go on in and get your stuff on. Julie be all right. Yeah, maybe she slipped in while you were busy counting tickets or something. See you right away, Marino. We've been entertained by Mom here while waiting for All her. right, lay off. Mom, throw me that foot powder. Looks like a heavy night out there. My feet still hurt from last night. Here you are, dearie. Here you are. That's the way I am, girlie. What I like every once in a while is a good, juicy murder. Nice kid. No enough to be murdered herself. Throw me that dress, would you, Madame Defarge? The green one. Oh. Is Julie here? Not unless she's hiding in the closet, honey. Do any of you know where she is? You asking us? Ain't she your buddy? Maybe they had a fight. Well, did any of you hear from her? Why not ask Marino? He's been hanging around her. <laughs> now, that southern girl, Sally, she used to work in a joint like this one further uptown. There was a murder for you. Come on, hurry it up in there. She just never showed up to work one night. Who didn't? That southern girl, Sally. Then they found her. That was about three years ago. Oh, what a sight she was when the police discovered the body. Oh, cut it out, Mom. Then there was the Robinson gal out in oh. Brooklyn. After death, they found a phonograph and record by a body didn't even belong to her. The murderer brought his own music. Oh, she was a dance hall phony, too. Maybe some guy has it in for you girls. Pleasant character. Well, maybe one fella kills the both of them. Maybe there's a dance hall killer still at large getting ready for his next victim. Now, what do you think I pay you girls for anyway? I often wonder. Joe, <laughs> oh, Marino, think we're giving a free show in here? Ah, uh, you couldn't interest anybody in that chassis of yours even with a set of dishes thrown in. All right, all of you, file out. I got something to tell Ginger. Uh, come on, get out. Uh, Ginger, what I wanted to see you I know, about. I know, Marino. I put you in a spot. I'll be dressed in a minute, and if you'll ward off those garlic eaters tonight, I'll work twice as hard to make it up to you, honest. No, I'm in no spot, Ginger, but you are. Marino, what's the matter? What's happened? The police want to see you, Ginger. Police? What for? I didn't do anything. I'm sorry, Ginger, but... You, you... Something's happened to Julie. That's what the police want to see you by. Julie's dead. Dead? 
murdered. Do either of you have a desire to... Does either of you... Or all, or all three of you? What word means all three of you? Do any of you? Use all. I'm new to your language. Use all, yeah. Use all. To do serious stuff... I don't know. I don't see why comedians should. It always implies that you're not really doing anything good until you do serious stuff. And, I've um, never had that. Have you? No. My mother no. has done some fantastic serious things, though. Some movies have made me cry. Mm-hmm. They've been so very dramatic. And did you oh, ever see Big Street? Big Street. With Henry no. Fonda when she oh, played no. that lady that was crippled with the little dog. And... I didn't see it. He, oh. Yeah, he pushed her all the way to Miami and just walking. He did. It was yeah? terrible. You'll watch that oh. and like it. She was She was so mean. It's been rerun for 20 years on the on the tube. And I cry every time. Having high blood pressure for a day and you can't even get near with less than a million? I know that, Violet. What are you sending her flowers for? And that's Runyon's Big Street, the Broadway of Little Pink's The Busboy, who silently worshipped a Broadway dog, who nursed her, fed her, cared for her when she was broke, and all the time she had her eyes on bigger guys and wouldn't wipe her feet on him. You got a job? What kind of a job? As what? Busboy. Busboy. Cleaning tables, filling glasses, making with the butter. Well, you're not even a good busboy. Louie, the head waiter, you got two left feet. Pink's the busboy who threw the most fabulous society party Miami ever saw. A party where his Broadway buddies mingled with the blue bloods until the whole thing exploded in his lap. Spill it nicely. The cops has grabbed Pink's for larceny. What'd he ever steal? Nothing except on that dress and them rocks you got on. I think the biggest thrill, I don't know, Carol, if this has happened to you. I think the biggest thrill I ever had was many years ago, and I read in a, in a script, or in a, in a column, I'm not sure which, it said, uh, it was in a script, it said, Lucille Ball type. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Like, um, You realize you've become a, a type. Yeah. Uh, that, you're... that was one of the biggest, I said, oh, I didn't care that I didn't get the part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but at least I was something that was identified, you know. Yeah. And I always wanted to be tight. Uh, in that sense. Well, in that sense and also as I am in television. Mm-hmm. I had made many pictures for 15 years and each part was different. You never really are recognized for uh, any particular type of person, any one personality. Mm-hmm. And I love television for that reason because I picked my own type of person I wanted to be, and I was it. Yeah. And I stayed that way. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Our first guest tonight is an actor, a musician, a producer, a director and author, and to millions of television viewers, however, he will always be known as Ricky Ricardo. Uh, more than a pleasure now to welcome Mr. Desi Arnaz. Very nice to see you. Thank you. Cuban Pete, huh? Yeah. Uh, Thank you, David. Thanks for being on the show. What is it? Now, this reaction, uh, you must get this wherever you go. People like you, they love you, they've seen you on television for a long, long time. It must be very gratifying. We love them, too. Yeah. Did you, uh, uh, at any point uh, in the project, realize what you were getting into, that this thing was going to be... <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of one of those things, you know, that um, if you're lucky enough, maybe, they say once in a lifetime, yeah. deal, you know. Yeah. 
No, we, uh, we wanted to work together. And Lucy was doing a radio show called My Favorite Husband. And then CBS wanted her to, uh... Was the radio show version as popular as the TV show turned out it to be It was a later? very popular radio show, yeah. She was on for about three years. And then they wanted her to transfer to television. And I, we, you know, we wanted to work together. Yeah. So she says, I want Desi to play the husband. Well, the husband in the radio show was Richard Denning, the guy that played the governor in Hawaii Five-O, you know? Well, he's a tall, blonde, blue-eyed vice president of a bank or something. I said, I'd never be able to get away with that part, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the same writers that were doing my favorite husband, Jess Oppenheimer and uh, Bob Carroll Jr. and Madeline Davis, they're now doing ours, Bob and Madeline and I. Mm -hmm. They, you know, kind of came up, uh, and me with the music and the orchestra leader, and uh, then nobody wanted me to play Ricky. Uh, by nobody, you mean the, the heads of the network, I would guess? The network, the sponsors, nobody. You yeah. know, and they said, who the hell is going to believe this uh, Baba Lou fellow is going to be married to this yeah. typical American girl, you know? Yeah. Funniest part of it is that we had been married for 10 years right then, you know. Uh, so, so how was this thing finally resolved? How did you bump Mr. Denning out of the picture? Well, you know, George M. Cohan always said that those people out there, the audience, they tell you what's good and what isn't, you mm -hmm. know. So I told Lucy, said, maybe they're right. Maybe nobody will believe you and I work together, you know. So in those days, I had the big band, you know, yeah. and we used to do vaudeville, play the Paramount Theater, and the Roxy, that's not there anymore. So I said, well, the next time that I go on tour, why don't you come with me, you know? We'll do a couple of numbers together and see what the audience thinks of us working together. So we worked the Roxy here in New York, when we're still there. Uh, Radio City, Minneapolis, that's not there anymore. Chicago Theater. We picked about five or six, you know, cross-country yeah. places. And the audience were wonderful. And Mr. Paley, which is the head of CBS at the time, chairman of the board, he saw us on the stage and said, well, the audience seems to like them together, and they have been married for 10 years, or maybe they'll believe that. <laughs> Morris, America's most enjoyable cigarette, presents Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz in I Love Lucy. That was Desi Arnaz, Lucille Ball's first husband and co-star on David Letterman's show on May 23, 1983. What you're hearing now is an audition tape for I Love Lucy. It's not a television show audition, though. It was an audition for a concurrent radio program which was supposed to have aired in 1951 simultaneously along with the TV show. In the end, television quickly replaced radio in 1951 as the oncoming entertainment medium and plans for a radio version of I Love Lucy were scrapped. This episode breaking the lease was the 18th in I Love Lucy's 179 total episodes and aired on television on February 11, 1952. This audition program was then recorded 15 days later using some studio audio and audio from the live taping from the television show. And you're certainly the nicest landlady I've ever had. Man, this is the most sickening conversation I've ever heard. You're so right. Oh, you two have no sentiment. I move that we dedicate the next number to our wonderful friendship. Here we go. Good night. 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 Good night.
She's absolutely right. People ought to do more singing in this world. That's right, honey. Every star above knows the one I love. Sweet you. Just you. Oh, no, honey, it couldn't be. No, I guess not. You live on the... too fast and got in the bends. <laughs> what? Well, she's a little grumpy because we're making noise. Well, I thought she was... Well, so with... did I. She'll be over it in the morning. Come on, honey, let's go All to bed. Right. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Lucy and I decided to ignore the Mercer's phone call and get ready for bed. Now, this should be a fairly simple thing to do. Lucy appeared on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show on March 22, 1974 to promote MAME, for which she later received a Golden Globe nomination. She uses the opportunity on Johnny's show to give him grief about his frequent absences from his own program.
Lucille Ball, the most versatile actress of all time. The Lucy that is warm, funny, and glamorous. And the Lucy that is loving, passionate, and spirited. In the multi-million dollar production that took two years to capture on film, that grand musical, Maine. It's a time for Thank you, Mary. Maine is filled with excitement and fun. Whistle a new song. Maine is a comedy. Maine, darling. You look awful. Dear, my old, old, old friend. Mame, I never dated the same man you did. How about Carlo, the sexy Argentine, the one with all those shoulders? Car I never dated Carlo. I married him. I never dated him. Be Arthur, that unforgettable actress who became an instant success as the TV character Maud, is now recreating her role as Vera from the stage show. Mame is a love story. And co-starring with Lucy is Robert Preston as Beauregard. Are you trying to tell me that I have ever given you reason to be ashamed of me? <laughs> you and your crazy friends. My friends are not crazy. spectacular four-year run is now brought to the screen. Lucille Ball, America's most unique actress, is supported by an outstanding cast in one of the most entertaining musicals of our time. Now, you and Valerie uh, uh, were our good friends, but now, do you remember when you first met Carol? Because Carol... Carol knows exactly... Lucille Ball was a guest on Dinah Shore's daytime television show in the late 1970s, honoring the female television stars of the day. Joining Dinah and Lucy for the show was Rhoda's Valerie Harper and Carol Burnett. ...to see the show, Once Upon a Mattress, it was off-Broadway, the second night. Oh, yeah. I had never met her, and, you know, we're getting ready to go on, and I got, I'm doing the makeup, and they said, Lucille Ball's in the eye, and went, She was the best audience, and, you know, I, we, I was a basket case. I didn't know what I did that night. I think when I got up on the 20 mattresses, I, I fell off the bed. I was so excited. And she came back afterwards and spent about an hour with me in the dressing room and talking to me and giving me all kinds of encouragement. And, uh, and you, you've been on her uh, television. Oh, yeah. She gave me work when uh, I didn't have any a lot yeah. of times. Sure. You did. I went. I'm not going to tell you when when it happened. I'm yeah, telling you right. now. Oh, I remember. Every time you were on my show, you were doing yours and something else. No, no, no. There were a couple of times when I really didn't have a job, yeah. and uh, and those are things you can see rather well. And you always want, you know, you don't want anybody to know that that's. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> no it. mercy bookings. I didn't right. know. Right. Yeah, we have a picture of you and Lucy. Somewhere. I agree with them, Lucy. That, God, uh, I wish you. I hope you're right. That, uh, I love Lucy would make so it in any era. All the three rounds. In the spring of 1977, Lucille Ball appeared on a Chicago-based PBS roundtable discussion hosted by Herb Kupsinit. 
Lucy appeared with director Otto Preminger, actress Elizabeth Ashley, and play and screenwriter David Mamet. It's an interesting one because it captures a more dressed down Lucy, and she's at times even frustrated about the current state of the industry and the current state of society itself. Otto even went so far as to ask her during the broadcast the what she I'm was so, so angry about. She said that, and thank you a little and bit. if you have a smart part for me, I can put that <laughs> big You're there. such a ham. <laughs> now remember you said that, because I'm going to take you up on it. I put on a little wig. Uh, I have done two or three specials uh, since uh, I stopped my usual weekly show, and they haven't been that well received. They, it was sort of like this, you know, and they kept, uh, the letters come in, why You're don't spoiled. you just do uh, like you and Gail did, and you and Vivian did, and, uh, and whatnot. And I've always kind of prided myself in knowing when to get off, and I thought, my God, I just can't be screamed at by Uncle Harry anymore for my idiotic things. I got a little embarrassed at my age. And yet, I get the letters, do it, do it, please go back, please go back. And I say, what's the matter? You got enough reruns to look at. But now they want me to do an hour or two hours of it. Do it. Otto. Don't if you, you like can find the same writers. I feel writer. sorry I, for my writers trying to find new ideas. If you could find the same writers whom you've always been most generous in praising. I know where they are. You've always praised them as the ones who made yes, the show go. Yes, but my goodness, they're, 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 they're running out of ideas, too. Is it true? Is the president really coming here? Yes! That's it's true! true. Oh, it's Lucille! True. <laughs> you think they just want a Caribbean cruise on a quiz show? Oh, Lucille, yeah. I'm gonna have to get my hair fixed and buy a new dress and lose 20 pounds by tomorrow. Uh, look, Viv, the president's only gonna be here for 30 minutes and I, I have to have time to talk to him about the camp for the kids and so I've decided to have just, uh, you know, loved ones. No outsiders. Oh, you're absolutely right. No outsiders. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, just the uh, three of us. <laughs> Which one of the four of us isn't included in that three of us? Just don't ask for whom the bell tolls. Lucille Whitaker, do you mean that you're not asking me? Your best friend? Your next door neighbor for 20 years? The woman who's stuck by you through thick and thin? You're not going to invite me to share the greatest moment of your life? You got it. But Lucy... Oh, are you gonna cry? Well, maybe. Oh, if you cry, then I cry. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, All right, you can come. Oh, you can come. But that's all now. Just your mother was very much influenced in your life, right? Great. Yeah. That's yeah. She was a great fan. She was a great lady. She was fun. She was the right down to the comedy nominator, you know, she was, she was wonderful. But she, I can still hear her laugh on the reruns. And all the reruns, every day, any time I want to turn on, I can hear my mother's laugh, which is wonderful. That's great. Yeah. Was she a stage mother? Did she encourage you? No, not you? at all. Not at all. No, nope. never came backstage or pushed me or was even around when I started. But when I got into television, then she could bring her friends over. When I quit television, she said, now what am I going to do Thursdays? Yeah. <laughs> Give me a day now, a typical day in your life. Because you're a workaholic the way I am. Give me a, I'm a, not a workaholic. And you know why I'm not? And I bet you aren't either. Anyone who takes, well, maybe you are. I don't know that much about you. But anyone who takes a long weekend or a good weekend off is not a workaholic. Just because you like to work and get your work done. But I can go, I get off Thursday evening. I'm free till Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we go away. We do whatever we want. Those are very long weekends. We take three, four months off a year. That uh, does not make you a workaholic unless you just decide that you must work over every weekend and everything. Don't you ever take a vacation, even over a weekend? I work all the time. Well, then you're a workaholic. I know it. I know it. But, but I'm not. Anyway, uh, a day, I, I do get up early. I wake up early. I don't necessarily bounce out of bed and jump into the pool. But, um, 
I have breakfast in bed, and I look at some mail, and I think of what I have to do, what I'm going to wear, and what I have to do that day, and I visit with my dog and give her a whap across the bed, and I have a darling little white poodle. Almost brought her tonight. But I figured, well... Well, I have Spike I, backstage. I you know, could have had a whole I thing know, going. I know, you know. I know. Has she been fixed? No. Have oh. You, have you? No. Oh, no. Habit. It was a cultural assumption for a long time that I think has gotten I broken don't know down where I by lived. a lot. I didn't see any. Well, of it was true of some women that depended uh, years and years ago on their glamour, and and uh, that I sort of that went out about twenty some years ago with the the vamp the vamps and the uh, beautiful. We haven't been uh, uh, Farrah. What's her name? Farrah Fawcett Majors. What's mm -hmm. her name? Farrah Fawcett Majors. I mean, she's Very in good. that same basket right now, and she's probably going to have trouble with it if she would consider it trouble. But I don't think she would. I think she's smart enough not to let it bother her. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, who are the great beauties in the last? Uh, Lana Turner. Lana. Well. Yeah, she was certainly a great beauty, but I don't think it ever bothered her. Well, I don't know, maybe it did. Vivian Leigh. Allo, in his book, talks about women. He says only two types of women survived in Hollywood. May I quote you? Yes, please. One are those who are dominated by men, and the other group are those who behave like men. Yeah. I think that, that the successful Hollywood actresses, very many of them behave like men. They would choose a man like a man, you know, just to have an affair. And then, when they were through, when they were not more interested, they didn't even return his calls. Right. You know, Let's you, hear it for that. Anything wrong with that? <laughs> no. I, I'm, I'm not sure what you said. In Vogue today, you know, I always talk about women and what they want. And I ran across a quote of Sigmund Freud, where he said that of the... Oh, well, what does he know? <laughs> no, he said something interesting. He said that in the 60 years or something of research that he had done, the one thing that would plague him to his grave was, I do not know what women want. What, what do you suppose he meant by that? He seemed to know what men do, but women remain I never knew what he meant by a lot of things he said. <laughs> Good old Sigmund. I think Sig was mixed up a lot. Were you acquainted with the gentleman? No, he tried. <laughs> oh, he did, eh? Chased you around the psychoanalytic couch, I see. Okay. Yeah. Do you want your daughter to get married at a certain age, or do you care? No, I don't uh, care now. If you'd asked me a few years ago, I would have, you know, mm -hmm. put an age on it. But now, um, and, I, and especially the way she thinks, that I know she thinks, and the way she acts and reacts, I've been watching her carefully for many years, and I don't yeah. worry about her. And uh, whenever she thinks it's time to get married, that's when she'll get married. And, yeah. I, and I'm not worried. How'd you decide when she should move away from home? She decided that. <laughs> Um, I knew that she was ready after a certain point in our argument on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a big wrench and uh, for any mother, I'm sure. And especially in that town. Well, like any town. Yeah. But uh, it didn't take her long to prove to me that she knew what she was doing. And when Be she did... Be serious, she... may I? Sure. I would love... And I really mean this, Lucy, for my three girls to grow up like this one. And I Thank really you. sincerely mean it. Thank you.
Ladies and gentlemen, Lucille Ball and Bob Hope. At the 61st Academy Awards on March 29, 1989, Lucille Ball joined Bob Hope on stage to present a choreographed song and dance number by the Young Stars of Tomorrow. Lucille apparently made this appearance as a personal favor to Hope. It's obvious also from their interaction that all those years later, they still cracked each other up. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. What a night. I haven't seen so many gorgeous girls since I spent Father's Day with Steve Garvey. <laughs> but I've got the most gorgeous girl right by my side, Lucille Ball, right there. Thank you. It, uh, it really is wonderful to be here. And a particular thrill, especially with you, Bob, it's a very secure feeling being up here with a man who has been on the Oscar show 26 times. That's true, yeah. And never won. You have to mention it, huh? Well. <laughs> I may take a Chilean grape. <laughs> no, it's not that I haven't, not that I... What are you going to do with not it? Not that I haven't begged, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I've been on my knees more often than Billy Swaggart. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of people are wondering what Lucy and I are doing up here together. You know, we made four pictures together. Yeah, talk about dangerous liaisons. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we haven't worked in a while, we're still keeping in touch with everything. In fact, today, the Ayatollah Khomeini called me and asked me who wrote Ishtar. <laughs> <laughs> And I hear they offered you a role in the picture about Dan Quayle's visit to the White House. Yeah, the accidental tourist. <laughs> Actually, I was called back to Washington to paper train the puppies. Oh. You know, Millie, the White House dog, had three puppies. Actually, she had five, but the Senate rejected two. Bob, can we stop now? No, we're on a roll. Why do we stop? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to tell you, we may get a better offer. Lucy's right, though. We've got a lot to say here. And we got a very important thing to say because we know who the winners are. Yes, and we haven't even opened the envelopes. Yeah, you're about to see 19 of the hottest young actors and actresses in pictures. These are the people who will be winning Oscars way into the next century. That's right. You've already seen them act in hip movies. But tonight, you're going to see them sing and dance. Yes. You know, Bob, I've always felt that Hidden within every great actor is a song and dance man. Yeah, you're telling me. In, my, in another life, I was Shirley MacLaine. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, we, here we are with 19 triple threaders. Make a note of their name now. You're going to be hearing a lot from these kids. Ladies and gentlemen, the Oscar winners of tomorrow, in a number especially written for this year's show by Marvin Hamlish and Fred Ebb and choreographed by Kenny Ortega. <laughs> Three weeks after this appearance, on April 18th, Lucille Ball was rushed to the hospital after complaining of chest pains. She underwent successful heart surgery and received a transplanted aorta. Lucille received a flurry of well wishes and began to recover quickly, walking around her hospital room with little assistance. However, shortly after dawn, on April 26th, Ball awoke with severe back pains and soon lost consciousness. Attempts to revive her proved unsuccessful and at 5.47 a.m. on the morning of April 26, 1989, Lucille Ball died.
Doctors determined that Ball, who was 77 years old, had succumbed to a second aortic rupture, this time in the abdominal area, and it was not directly related to her surgery from the previous week. on your award. It's the International Radio Television Society Golden Award, I believe, and it is... Thank you. It's one of the ones that means something, and uh, certainly couldn't happen to a nicer person. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, sir. And thank you. I think I thanked everyone. Good night. The legacy Lucille left behind, it's timeless. Those people, both famous and unknown to the general public, who knew her have all through the years gone out of their way to mention that not only was she an extraordinary talent, she was one of the most genuine people they ever had the pleasure of getting to know. As you can hear in her interviews, Lucy was fearless. She was passionate. At times she was absurd. And I think in the end, she was all the things that make for a great comedian and an even better person. As I mentioned on the open, if you've gotten this podcast via thewallbreakers.com or some other web means and would like to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes by searching for Breaking Walls, and you can do so on SoundCloud by following at The Wallbreakers. If you've gotten this far in this podcast, hey, do me a favor and leave a rating and review on iTunes. It'll help me a lot because it helps the iTunes algorithm, and it'll help more people discover Breaking Walls. The Wallbreakers Unity t-shirt line, it's available, as I've said before, at jamesthewallbreaker.com slash shop or thewallbreakers.com slash shop. The interviews featured in today's episode on television were from the Dick Cavett Show in 1971, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon in 1974, The Dinah Shore Show in 1976, The Chicago Roundtable Discussion on PBS in 1977, Desi Arnaz on The Letterman Show, The Late Show, in 1983, and The Joan Rivers Show with Lucille Ball in 1986. The old-time radio clips from today's episode were Suspense's Dime a Dance, originally broadcast on January 13, 1944, on CBS, and I Love Lucy's Breaking the Lease, broadcast never but recorded for CBS on February 26, 1951. The music featured in today's episode was 27-string quartet number 12, F major, opus 96, by Avi Avital from Between Worlds, I Love Lucy's theme song by Dominic Hauser, and Purple Whale by Red Prysock. Our intro music was Cesar Frank's Symphony in D Minor Part 3, the finale. Our outro music will be Desi Arnaz singing I Love Lucy. I will be back on August 15th with Breaking Walls episode number 63. It too is going to have the overarching topic of Harvest. Look out for previews on social media on what 63 will be about in the next week or 10 days. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode, and remember, keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls episode number 62, and until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. And she loves me We're as happy as two can be We have our quarrels But then, no How will love make enough again? Lucy kisses like no one can She's my missus and I'm her man And life is heaven, you see Cause I love Lucy, yes I love Lucy and Lucy And she loves me We're as happy as two can be Sometimes we quarrel But then <laughs> How will love making up again? Lucy kisses like no one can She's my missus And I'm her man And life is heaven, you see Cause I love Lucy, yes
This is WBBN, the Wallbreakers Broadcasting Network. Thank you, and good afternoon.